Well, hey, everybody. It's good to be with you today as we kick off this new series called Freed to Be. And also a special thank you and a welcome to those of you who are hosting watch parties this weekend as we continue to kind of work our way back into getting together as a big group we just sure appreciate the opportunity to gather together in smaller groups uh, over the next few weeks as we think about uh, what it means to reopen here and come back to church, at least in a limited capacity. But as we start this new series, over the next seven weeks, we're going to be looking at what Scripture refers to as the fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to be diving deep into each of these characteristics that Paul lists in his letter to the Galatians in chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, where he talks about the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And while this is a peculiar sounding phrase, this, this idea of the fruit of the Spirit, my hope is that together we can come together understanding better as we explore what exactly Paul means by this. Because I have to tell you that generally speaking, most of the time we get this all screwed up. When we see a list of words like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, we start to automatically interpret that as a list of things that we should do a checklist of like good behaviors that we should set ourselves out to accomplish. And so just to be very clear up front, the goal of this message series is not to give you a list of virtues for you to try to shoot for. Because now I need you to hear me. These things will not happen. They cannot happen without knowing the words of Jesus and being filled by his Holy Spirit. Let me say that again here so you just hear my, hear my heart. These things cannot happen if we don't know the words of Jesus and we're not filled with his Holy Spirit. Because the fruit of the Spirit is not just a list of words, it's actually the character of God being revealed in who Jesus is and lived out through us. The character of Jesus as is revealed in us who follow him and know him and trust him. But if we don't know what the words of Jesus are and, and we're not filled by his Holy Spirit, then there is no chance that we can ever produce the kind of fruit that Paul is referring to. And we'll get into more about why that is in just a moment. But as we go through this next seven weeks, there's a phrase I just want us to, to put in our mind and think about this through each message in this series. Know the word, be filled with the spirit, bear the fruit. Know the word, be filled with the spirit, bear the fruit. And when we keep this in mind, then we just kind of automatically know that Paul is not talking to us about trying to produce good behavior through our own willpower. He's not giving us a prescription for how to earn God's favor, but rather he's describing to us what a life that is connected to Christ looks like. He's laying out and identifying the characteristics of what our relationship produces in our lives when we are connected to him. 
And so the order of all of this is, is very important. And so when we know the word and we are filled with the Holy Spirit, it's then we bear the fruit. The order is important. And so to help us kind of clearly understand that today, uh, I want to take a look at John chapter 15 so that we can look at this more clearly and, and understand uh, what exactly is going on here when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. So we're going to be in the Gospel of John chapter 15, and we're going to be look, looking specifically today at verses 1 to 12. But before we jump in here, let me just pray for us as we get started. Lord, we thank you for who you are. And we thank you for who you're calling us to be. And so, Lord, by the power of your spirit, would you, would you come into each of our hearts right now in this moment? And would you open our ears so that we might hear a word from you and that you might fill us with your spirit so that we might go and bear your fruit? We know it's only possible through Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, before we get deep into John 15, let me just say that there are a couple of key links between what Paul talks about in Galatians with the fruit of the Spirit and what we're going to be talking today about in John 15. There's this ongoing metaphor of fruit. That's one key connection point. And the other is this word that we often say called love. Love is a word that has several different meanings when we're talking about it in the original Greek. There, there's actually four different words for love in Greek. And so when we don't know that, we start to miss some things uh, and some, some depth of meaning, meaning about what is going on here. Because after all, right now with just the word love in our culture, it, it, it doesn't really mean much at this point, does it? I mean, think about it. I love my wife. And I love chocolate cake. Same word love, but entirely different depths of meaning. And so the word that's translated as love in both Paul's letter and the scripture we're looking at today in John 15 is the Greek word agapao, or it might sound more familiar if we say the form of it that's agape, which means to will the good of another, to will the good of someone other than yourself. So this is not romantic love. Uh, this is not even like love between close friends. It's not even chocolate cake love. This is the kind of love like God sent his only son so that we might be saved kind of love. This kind of love has benefits to others even though a lot of times it comes at great sacrifice to us. And it's this self-sacrificing kind of love that's listed as the first fruit of the Spirit. And when we know more about the depths of what this means by this kind of love, this understanding of love, then we can see that all the other words that come after it in the list are, are essentially contained inside that one word. Everything else that comes after it is really just another dimension or a different dimension of the kind of love that we're talking about all throughout this series. That's why it's called the fruit of the Spirit and not the fruits of the Spirit. Fruit is singular because it encompasses all of the words that come after it. 
And this is going to be important to us as we really get in to John chapter 15. And so let's take a look, starting at John chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now, this kind of vine metaphor might sound strange to you and I. We might not really understand what that means, but if we know several times in the Old Testament how God refers to this sort of idea of the vine and the vineyard, it, it kind of gives us a clue. Because in the Old Testament, this was used to continually explain how Israel was falling short of God's expectations. They blew it. Over and over and over again, there's this image of how God planted a vine, cared for the vine, protected the vine. But even with all of that, it still just didn't work out. And so one important spot in scripture to look at is the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 2, verse 21. We see this. God is referring to the vine here. I had planted you, this is directed to Israel, I had planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt and wild vine? Although you wash yourself with soap and use an abundance of cleansing powder, the stain of your guilt is still before me. So it's important to note here that their sin had defiled them to the point that nothing that they could ever do could make them clean, no matter how hard they were trying to clean themselves. Another spot in scripture where we see this vine and vineyard metaphor is in the prophet Isaiah, chapter 5, uh, verse 4. We see this. Uh, the, again, this is God saying, What more could I have done for my vineyard than I have done for it. When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? So for Jesus to use this vineyard and vine metaphor, it would not be something new for a first century Jewish person. Remember, all the people that Jesus is talking to at this point are first century Jewish people. So quite the contrary, when they hear these words, they would kind of be expecting to yet again hear about how they had fallen short of expectations and had missed the mark. But instead, Jesus enters this metaphor himself and he changes everything. He basically says, hey, hey, you are not the vine, but I am. So don't focus on all the ways that you failed and screwed things up in the past. Focus on me and I will bring you with me into a future that is pleasing to God. 
Now, we typically think of this kind of the opposite way, don't we? We often think, well, we'd better get our act cleaned up so that we can please God and, and try to somehow avoid his punishment. Because some, somewhere in the back of our minds, we think God is very upset with us. But, but remember, in verse 3, he said that we're already clean. We're already clean. Remember, Jeremiah talked about no way to make yourself, no amount of soap will make you clean. Now Jesus is saying, well, wait a minute, you're already clean. And they're clean not because of their actions, and certainly not because of our actions, not, not because of good behavior. They're clean because of his word. His word is what makes things clean. It, it's what makes us clean. And so to just say it a, an easier way, Jesus is who we cannot be. We cannot be Jesus. He's Jesus. And he does for us what we can't do for ourselves. And, and this is what remains true as long as we remain in him. As we remain in Jesus through trust and faithfulness, he remains in us through love and faithfulness. As we remain in Jesus through trust and faithfulness, he reminds us or he remains in us through love and fruitfulness. And so he goes on to say in verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, do you see how it's this connection between the vine and the branches that allow and make fruit bearing possible? Because this connection is what Jesus is talking about in terms of what it means to remain in him as he remains in us. It's this connection. When we remain in him or stay connected to him, stay connected to the vine, that's when it becomes possible for us to bear the fruit of the spirit. And so it's not like a fixer-upper program. We're not becoming loving out of our efforts. We are loving because God is loving and it's him living through us that produces that fruit. But if we don't remain in him, then no matter what we do, fruit bearing is not possible. No matter how hard we strive, no matter how hard we try, we cannot fake a true connection to Jesus and somehow think that it's good enough. It just doesn't work that way. A true connection means that we remain in him and he remains in us. We stay connected. And I know you're probably thinking when you hear all this remain in me, and uh, it, it sounds confusing. As a matter of fact, even the word remain kind of sounds tricky to understand because we're often not sure what in the heck he's talking about here. And so some other translations use the word abide instead. If, if you abide in me and I abide in you, I'm not sure that that's much better, but here's an interesting thing. In, in the ancient Greek, the word that is translated as abide in some of these translations actually means to dwell in or to live with. 
Now that gets a little bit closer to home in terms of us understanding what's really going on here, what he's really talking about. So I think at least one way I could propose to you that we understand this is that when we follow him and when we put our trust in him alone, then Jesus takes up residence in us. He takes up residence in our hearts by the power of his Holy Spirit. Yes, Jesus is moving in. He moves in. And so he stands at the door and he's got all of his stuff with him and he wants to know if you're going to let him in. Now, this is what we mean by being filled with his spirit. When we invite him into our lives and allow him to completely move in and to guide and to shape us, then he makes good on his promise and he fills us with his Holy Spirit. He moves in. Now, my family and I have moved five times over the last 21 years. And now some of those times have gone better than others. Some of those times we've been fortunate enough to have like professional movers. And, and that, you know, if, if you've experienced this, they come in, they box up all the nickety knacks and they load it all up and they drive it to the new place. It's fantastic. Then guess what? They unload it all and they use these little stickers that they put on the boxes and they have little numbers and everything. And then on the other end, when you have a little checklist and you make sure that, okay, I got all my stuff. Great. Well, about move number three, I started noticing that we had boxes that had two previous moving stickers still on them. Box still sealed shut. Hadn't been open since the previous move. Matter of fact, no idea what's in it. Sealed shut, moved twice. This was the third time. And so I did what you do in these situations. I found a place to store it until we moved it again. Now, I agree that doesn't make much sense. But my point is this, and I hope this is, is how we can understand this. In order for Jesus to move in, some other things have got to move out. For Jesus to move in, other things have got to move out. And this can be a difficult situation for us, especially in a world that is so full of unlimited distractions. Can it? Because when we're bombarded with infinite, amount, infinite amounts of stuff that we can either consume or acquire or try to cram into our brains or into our hearts or even into our souls, is there any room left for Jesus? Or is he just kind of standing out on the driveway wondering, hey, can I get in? Is life already operating at maximum capacity as it is? Is there any room left in our hearts to actually be filled by the Holy Spirit? Or are we already filled up with a whole bunch of other stuff? Now, in verse 7, Jesus actually makes a clarifying statement here. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And so in other words, to remain in Jesus means that we actually allow his words to remain in us. 
when we know his words, then they can remain in us. And when we pray for Jesus to fill us with his spirit, then we can bear the kind of fruit in our lives that brings glory to the Father. So again, when we know the word and we ask to be filled with the spirit, that's when we can start to bear the fruit. But again, the question is whether or not the structure of our lives actually reveals this to be a priority. Are, are we serious about this connection to Jesus? Or, or is it just kind of one of those, well, whenever we get around to it, if I've got some extra time, I might try to squeeze that in. Maybe I'll just have a little block time here, a little block time there. Uh, you know, I realize this can be uncomfortable to even consider. And, and, and I am no better or different than anybody else. I struggle with just as much. And so I'll use myself as an example. Uh, I can tell you that if I were to read my Bible as much as I watch Netflix, I would know more about Jesus than I do about the office. I'd be able to quote more Jesus than Michael Scott. Now that's saying something. Now if I spent the same amount of time as I spend each day checking my phone and instead spent that time in prayer and asked the Lord to fill me with his Holy Spirit, I'm sure that I would bear more fruit in my life that's actually pleasing to God. And so my question is, are we actually, honestly, truly, if you think about this, are we making as much room in our lives for Jesus as we are for things like Netflix? Do we have as much room for Jesus as we do for social media? What about the work that we do? What about our jobs? What about the hobbies that we enjoy? What about the sports that we play? Do we have room for Jesus? Because the psalmist says all the way back in Psalm 1 that blessed is the one who meditates or delights in the word of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. That automatically makes me a little uncomfortable. I don't know about you, but I know the usual response to hearing something like that is, well, that's, what are you talking about? Day and night? I mean, that's just not realistic. I mean, just can't do it. But here's the thing. This is the reality. It's hard, but it's true. Jesus isn't interested into moving in to just your spare bedroom. He's not really interested in moving into your garage or your basement or your cellar or, or your storage unit. No, Jesus wants to move into every aspect of your entire life. He wants to be part of it. And so I just think about in our current world with all that's going on and with all of the opinions and all of the uh, certainty that everybody seems to have about how right they are about absolutely everything. I would just ask, are we really humbly considering whether or not we're taking time to make the space and truly seek the Lord's will? Or are we actually just primarily focused on accomplishing our own will? Are we out there whether it's in our house or in the world in general, or even 
on social media? Are we trying to win arguments or are we trying to win people for the glory of the Lord? Are, are we meditating more on politics and our preferences than we are on the words of God's prophets? I think we all kind of know the answer, don't we? But in other words, now more than ever, we've got to be willing to take the time to ask, what does God the gardener need to prune back in my life so that I can be more fruitful for his glory? Because remember, all the way back at the beginning, Jesus talked about the work that it, the gardener does. He, he cuts off the branches that don't bear any fruit. And, and here's the interesting part. Even the branches that do bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. That strikes me as very interesting because there's no way for us to escape the pruning shears. That's what I get out of that. On the one hand, if the branch bears no fruit at all, it gets cut off and moved away. But if it does bear fruit, then it gets cut back. So cut off or cut back. It sounds to me like the question is, do you want pickles or sardines? Both are terrible. I don't want either one. But here's the thing, and I know it probably sounds like I'm just making stuff up here, but I assure you I'm not. Pruning is actually a blessing. Pruning is a blessing, and it's also something that's an ongoing part of our relationship with Jesus. God, the gardener, prunes us. Then we grow, and we bear more fruit. And then he prunes us again, and we grow again, and we bear more fruit. And sometimes that pruning hurts deeply. Because sometimes it feels like God prunes and cuts things out of our lives in ways that don't seem to make any sense at all to us. I've been there. Have you? But I also know this, that when I look back upon the most frustrating and excruciating situations and seasons all throughout my life, I can now see how the Lord continued to grow me through all of it. Certainly doesn't mean I want to go back and do it again, but I actually can see how he continued to mold and to shape me into the character of Jesus just so that I might even ever so slightly be more like him. I can see how the Lord continued to use even my toughest circumstances in ways that I never expected that might bear more fruit for his glory. And so my encouragement to you today is that if you right now in your life, in your circumstances, in your struggles, if you are feeling pruned or cut back right now in this moment, don't disconnect yourself from the vine. That is a huge temptation. When things do not go the way that we want them, we tend to say, that's it. I'm done with this God thing. Throw faith in the garbage can and move on. But my encouragement is don't disconnect. Don't stop learning and meditating 
and trusting in the words of Jesus. Don't stop praying that he will fill you with his Holy Spirit. And don't stop asking for him to keep bearing fruit through you, no matter what you might be facing right now. Pruning is indeed a blessing, even when it doesn't seem like it or feel like it, even when we don't like it. But it's being done by the loving hands of the gardener. God is pruning us because he loves us. He is the gardener that cares for the garden. He is pruning us because he loves us. And again, remember all the way back when we talked about what does love really mean in this circumstance? This is the kind of love that is willing the good of another. God prunes us even when it's painful because he is ultimately working for our good even when we don't understand that. And he's doing it so that we can continue to bear more and more fruit for that benefit that comes to others when they know who Jesus is. In verse 9, we see Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Again, this is that, that agape love. Sorry, I lost my place here. Now, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love one another as I have loved you. So this is one of those things where we get tripped up because this is a spot we tend to flip this upside down. We start getting a little bit nervous. What's really going on here? But notice that it starts by the father loving the son, the son loving us. And so when verse 10 comes around and we start to hear the word if, if is always a troubling word. It triggers something in our mind. And, and so when we hear the phrase, well, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. That automatically makes us jumpy. Because if we just take that verse alone and we just sort of plucked it out and held it up all by itself, then we're tempted to say, aha, see, I knew it, I knew it. We have to keep God's commands in order to remain in his love. I knew it. But this is the same problem we've been talking about this entire time today. Remember that over and over again, we've seen that the fruit of the Spirit is not something that we produce by our own willpower. We can't do that. The fruit of the Spirit is produced in us only when we are connected to the vine. Remember, know the word, be filled with the Spirit, bear the fruit. And so the same is true here. When we're connected to Jesus, who is the vine, then keeping God's commands is not an exercise of our own willpower, but instead it is the consequence or the fruit that is produced by God living in us and working through us. So 
it's easy for us to think that this goes the other direction, isn't it? Because, well, if I do God's commands, then he will give me what I want. I mean, it says right there, ask for whatever you want in my name and the father will give it to you. We misunderstand that as well. Because part of this is that when we know and trust that Jesus has come into our lives, moved into our hearts and has filled us with his Holy Spirit, then the fruit of that love is that we desire what he desires. Not what we desire. We desire what he desires. We want what he wants. And so, shucks, we were so close on that one. Darn it. I thought I could get whatever I wanted as long as I used Jesus' name. No, that's not what's happening here. As he continues to live in us and lead us and guide us, then we become the very character of God as it's revealed to other people in a way that brings glory to him. And this is not something that we should understand as for our benefit alone. We certainly have benefited, but it's not for our benefit alone. It's ultimately for the benefit of others. So it doesn't stop with us. This, we are not meant to be a dead end. The fruit of our faith is not for us to consume and just say, that was great. It's for the benefit of others because that's what actually brings glory to God. And so to love one another as I have loved you means that just like God wills the good for our benefit, we then will will the good of others for their dignity and for God's glory. Even when that is costly to us. Because remember that God spared no expense to do for us what we can never do for ourselves. He sent his only son knowing that the cost would be his very life. But Jesus said he laid down his life for the good of others. And though he died the death he didn't deserve, he did it for the benefit of all who know him and trust him. And his resurrection proves that God continues to work to do the will of the good of more and more people who come to know him through the fruits of the faith that we have revealed in the lives of not only his disciples at that moment, but us today as his disciples right here and right now. This is the kind of love that God has for us. This is the Jesus who wants to move into every single aspect of your entire life. His words reveal that his love for us does not end. He says this over and over again. But do we know those words? His spirit wants to fill us up. But do we have any room left, especially in a world full of distractions? And his desire, his will is for us to bear the fruit of selfless love that comes through us. Remember, from the Father to the Son to us to others. He wants us to bear that fruit so that more and more of the lost and broken world will come to know him and to trust him 
will we remain in him? Will we abide in him and let him abide in us? We can only do this when we know the word, when we are filled with his spirit, then we can bear the fruit. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have promised that when we ask you to come and fill our hearts by the power of your spirit, that you will move in. You will move in and you will do things in and through us that we could never do ourselves. We thank you, Lord, that, that you do this at great cost to yourself, even though you offer it as a free gift to us. We don't deserve this, Lord. We do not deserve this kind of mercy and goodness. We know that comes from you, our good Savior. And so, Lord, as we continue to walk through this series, we continue to understand what it means to be free to live in the character of Jesus as you continue to live into us and through us. We just surrender to your will. We ask that, Lord, your will be done. And we invite the presence of your Holy Spirit to move in and lead us in the way that only you want us to go. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.